Love coming here. Um, love playing golf with Don. And um, by the grace of God, I hope this is big enough. It is good. That's great. What is the gospel? Someone asks you that, what is the gospel? What is it? Well, there's lots of ways of answering that. You could, just, you could give the verses that kind of explain that. But in Romans, Paul describes the gospel as the power of God. The power of God unto salvation. People need help. And Paul said, you know, the good news is that God has shown us his power in Jesus Christ. Then in another part of the Bible, Paul describes Jesus as not just the power of God, but the wisdom of God. Bible says the gospel is the power of God under salvation for everyone who believes. One of the wonderful things about God is that he actually has an extraordinary vision for the future. He sees the end before the beginning. He sees things that have never yet been. And one of the reasons people can struggle in, relation, in relationship with God is that they don't, we don't understand that we are encountering his wisdom in Jesus Christ. And when Paul was describing that, he said Christ is not just the power of God under salvation because he's capable of dealing with the issue of sin in a human life. Now, sin is an ugly word. No one likes the word sin. When we talk about the struggles we have in life, we like to use that word. You know, I have struggles. Um, I have some kind of uh, problems. I've got some inconsistencies, we could call them. I, I've got some things that don't make sense to me. I, we could call it dysfunction, you know. But the Bible has a different word when it talks about that stuff. And it talks about it and it uses a word called sin. And the reason we don't like the word is because in our gut we know that when we use the word sin, it's talking about our behavior as it relates to a holy God. Now, when I talk about my behaviour as it relates to you, I can talk about I have problems because we've all got problems and you've got your struggles and I've got mine and you've got your weaknesses and I've got mine and it's all really good because all, we're all the same mess together. But when we use the word sin, we're now talking about a human life as it exists in the presence of an eternal holy God. And Jesus was God's answer to the problem of a holy God ever forgiving anybody. See, most people think that it's easy to forgive. I mean, God asks me to forgive. Well, forgiveness, you just make a choice. God, why don't you just choose to forgive us? You don't understand the amount of power it required for a holy God to ever forgive anybody and still maintain his own holiness and integrity. God has determined heaven will never become hell. The, the reason the future is so wonderful is because God is determined he is going to maintain the goodness and the perfections of heaven. Well, how do you ever get a sinful person into that? Well, it requires a lot of power. And the first is the issue of our guilt. And Jesus is the power of God under salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. Why? Because in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. God knows how to make uh, people who are sinful, he knows how to make them righteous. And the first part is the power of God. But then Paul says Jesus isn't just the power of God, he's also the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then he says this, And because of him, because of the Father in heaven, you are in Christ Jesus. If you've ever engaged, with Jesus, if you've ever trusted in him, you are in him. He goes on to say this, uh, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. And then he describes God's wisdom. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And I want to take a couple of minutes this morning to seek to just, uh, if, you, if you've never heard it before, to, to clearly explain to you God's wisdom in getting sinful people from here to eternity. This is the wisdom of God. It's the power of God in Jesus and the wisdom of God in Jesus and the wisdom of God in bringing people into eternal life involves righteousness 
sanctification and redemption, those three words sum up the wisdom of God as it will unfold for us in Jesus. What I just said is actually the summary of the book of Romans. Those of you who know your Bibles, what I'm, going to, what I'm giving you in those three words is an outline of the whole of the book of Romans. All he does in that, in that book is unpack the detail first of righteousness, then the detail as it relates to sanctification, and then he gives us the gem, let me describe to you what redemption looks like because redemption is just extraordinary. What comes after that? It all starts with righteousness. Now, if you want to put up that first slide you've got, no, go back. Go back to that one. Yeah, just hold that up. We'll hold that one there just for the moment. It all begins with righteousness. Now, righteousness is a gift. God has the most wonderful gift for anyone who is willing to receive it. It's called justification. And then Paul in Romans sets out to demonstrate that everybody's sinned. It's not just some people. It's the lot of us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so God then has a powerful solution for that. The whole of the Old Testament was written to prove or to explain largely one fundamental truth, and that is that without the shedding of blood, there will never be the forgiveness of sin, because the wages of sin is death. Um, the soul that sins shall die. Uh, Every, everything in the Old Testament was sprinkled with blood to underline this very, very disturbing truth that the wages of sin is death. And then God produced in the power of Jesus, this, the, God himself, the second person of the Trinity, by the power of God, emptied himself, took on human flesh in the, in the womb of Mary, and there's Christmas all over there all over that issue, the incarnation. God takes on a human body. He then lives the life we should have lived, said what we should have said, did what we should have done, and then takes the responsibility for our failures upon himself, and he is the shed blood of the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He hands his perfect life to God and receives our lives in its place. He's crucified in our place. And the consequence of that is that God has a perfect life to give as a free gift to anyone who wants to receive it. It's called the forgiveness of sins, but it's more than that. When we use the word justification, sometimes that's been explained by saying, it's just as if I'd never sinned. No, no, it's much better than that. You see, if... if if forgiveness was all God had for us, he would bring us back to zero. We'd be back as if we were like newborn, uh, we've never made a mistake. But it's better than that. The power of God takes the life of Jesus and puts it in my account. As if I'd done all that stuff. I get clothed with the righteousness of Christ. The power of God has me in the sight of heaven and anyone who's willing to believe as perfect as Jesus is himself because his life becomes your life, the righteousness of God which is received by faith. Martin Luther bumped into that after 10 years of uh, struggling and grovelling with fear about one day I'll stand in the presence of God. And he said, when I read in the Bible that word, the righteousness of God, I felt it was like a high jump. It was like how perfect I've got to get before I'll be okay with God. And then I discovered that the righteousness of God was a free gift that came by faith. And he put all of Christ's life to my account. And that in that extraordinary act of power, God could place me in heavenly places, seat me with Christ in heavenly places, and that's the first element of the wisdom of God. I will give you a free gift. It's called justification, the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Now you can put up that, that next slide. This is the first, the first act of God's wisdom in preparing us for eternity. Here it is. It's what we have now. And I've got to look at it because I only wrote this this morning for you. So I've got to turn around I haven't got it in front of me. This is something that is done because of faith in Jesus Christ. 
It is finished. It is the free gift of God. It is imputed righteousness. You can be as messed up as the, as the life is long. You, you, the wonder of it is that imperfect people suddenly stand in the presence of God as if they're as clean and righteous and, and as wonderful as, as Jesus Christ is himself. It's put to your account. Through life, death and resurrection of Jesus, it's received through trust in Jesus, it's by faith alone. And then Romans 5 sums up that argument by saying in Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Not the peace of God, we have peace with God. There is no war between you and God. He is not your problem, he is your answer. He is not your enemy, he is your friend. He is not not your enemy, he is your father. And all of that is the first element of the wisdom of God. And it's worth getting up and praising and worshipping every morning because his mercies are new every morning. But that's not where the wisdom of God finishes. Now he comes to the second element of his preparation for eternity. This is called sanctification. God now is calling you as someone he is preparing for eternity. So you've got to understand God has a vision of eternity. Your life is a preparation to live forever in the presence of God. And, And eternal life is not just a long life. It's a kind of life. It's a quality of life. It's the life of heaven experienced by human beings. And as a result, there needs to be some preparation for that. And God wants to demonstrate that too. One of the extraordinary things about the prayer, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to demonstrate to people that marriages can be like this, raising kids can be like this, running a business can be like this, just relating with your neighbours can be like this, that life can be like this. And that that means now... We have to go past imputed righteousness to imparted righteousness. God just doesn't want us to be clean legally. He now wants us to begin to experience that life. That's called sanctification. Now, the great danger is that we say, well, if I'm as righteous as that, I don't need to do anything. Well, you you do, not to earn God's favour, but because there are changes that must be made Because there's a lot that's been going on in here that doesn't have anything to do with heaven and it really needs to be adjusted. That's called sanctification. We don't want you going on like that and you wouldn't want to turn up in heaven as cranky and and as out of sorts as you were yesterday. Thank God that we didn't die yesterday because that would have been it. Um, Now God says, I want, this is the second part of my wisdom. I want to now impart to you righteousness. I want to teach you how to experience righteousness. But the key is not trying harder. Now we're dealing with Romans 6, 7 and 8. Shall we then continue in sin that grace might abound? I mean, he's been so gracious to me. Why don't we just keep fouling it up so he can keep on saying, I just give you Jesus because heaven is better than that. And one of those stickers that maybe could use adjustment is, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. And while that is true, God doesn't want it to stay that way. He is preparing you for perfection. Now, you may not get there and you won't get there in this life, but you've been prepared for, for, for perfection. And the, and the pathway to that is now to get you to engage with God as a redeemed loved, extraordinarily graced child of heaven. I want you now to engage with the life of heaven. That's called sanctification. It's imparted righteousness. And the key to it is not learning to try harder. The key to it is abiding in the, in the, in the, the very Jesus who died for you and rose again. It's now a partnership. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And it's not going to be hard because my burden is easy. And my, my um, what do you say? I've forgotten it. My, my burden is, is light. 
My yoke is... Thank you. I lost that one just for a moment. Oh, Jesus. I lost a Bible verse. My yoke is easy and my burden is... It's not a tough thing. It's a delight. It's not a, a Damocles sword hanging over you. You get it wrong. I promise you I'm withdrawing justification. I'll wipe you off the planet. I brought you into the world. I can take you out again. It isn't a Damocles sword. It is a call into the delight of learning the life of Jesus, and it's not done by trying harder. Jesus said, abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll abide in me, and I in you, you'll bring forth fruit because I'm here, not just to be, I didn't just come for you, I'm now wanting to do something in you, and this is called sanctification, and it is the wisdom of God. Now, you can describe as long as you get to live after you come to Jesus, as a journey of spiritual formation. Jesus increasingly wanting to expand your capacity to love. And love is the fulfillment of the law. Love doesn't break the law. Love love doesn't ignore the law. We're no longer under it, but we don't break it because love just doesn't want to go in that direction. God showed us in the law this stuff he doesn't like. No, we're not going in that direction. We're going to heaven. And so... I I just want the life of Jesus to become more my life. And now this is the second part of the wisdom of God. Let's put up the next one. Sanctification. This is being done. Your your justification has been done. It is finished. It is once and for all. It was done at the cross. It is not to be repeated. It is there. It is a completed thing. You are a child of God in Christ Jesus. But now there's something that is being done and it requires your cooperation. It calls for cooperation. It's being done. Now we're talking about imparted righteousness, living the life of Jesus. The Bible says now now you're saved. Well, you are saved. You are saved in the sense that you are now proclaimed righteous. Now work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Now work that out. What I've given you, let it become part of your life. And it's done not by trying harder, but it's done through union with Jesus Christ, it's abiding in Christ, it's cooperation with Jesus. The justified ones are now embracing justice in their relationships, and I need this is what I want. I'm going to leave you with one thought today. It's a war. I want to show you some passages in the Bible that demonstrate that say to you that not only it is a war, and God's calling you to fight this war, but it's a war for a very particular reason. Now you come to the third part of God's wisdom. And the third part of God's wisdom is summed up in this word, redemption. Well, what's different about redemption? Because now redemption moves to an area that has not yet been saved. And that is my body and the whole creation that we are living in. We are living in a body that was damaged by the fall and redemption has not yet come to this body. It has come to the, to the inner man that dwells in this body, but it has not yet come to this body. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul describes redemption as the changing of my body, the redemption of my body being made in, into a glorious body like under his glorious body by the same power whereby he's able to subdue all things to himself. The entire creation, including your body and mine, is groaning because this body has not yet been redeemed. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8. And a lot of the things that we think are mysterious about our Christian life are summed up pretty much in that insight. God is going to bring our salvation to to a future conclusion and this is the point at which we receive the final adoption. He describes the redemption of our body, the changing of our body, the, this mortal body being changed and turned into a brilliant, immortal, spiritual body. The whole of 1 Corinthians 15 is an exposition of this extraordinary miracle that Paul calls the redemption of my body and it extends to the entire creation, the entire earth, experiencing a transformation so that earth and heaven essentially become the same place and in Revelation God says I will dwell with them and be their God and they shall be my people and I will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there'll be no more sickness and no more pain and no more dying and no more death that is the conclusion of God's wisdom
Now, what often we haven't understood, when we often talk about ourselves, we don't fully often appreciate what, a, what an extraordinarily complex miracle it, me, it is to be a human being. You are not an angel, you are a human being. An angel is a spirit. The Bible calls them um, the spirits that are sent forth for the purpose of those who are going to receive salvation. You are not an angel, you're a human being. And if only I was a more simple creature. Listen to the tension of me living out my sanctification in this life as Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And in that passage, we get a summary of the war, the challenge of walking in this world as a Christian, because Christians feel a tension often that other people don't feel. If only I was a more simple creature, if only I was just a spirit, then the, the miracle of transformation in justification would be complete. And in fact, what has happened in your regeneration, the miracle of the Spirit of God coming to you and awakening you to the love of God and to the life of Jesus, it's called the new birth. If anyone born again, if he's not born, he won't see the kingdom. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the Spirit is spirit. And in the miracle of the Spirit coming and awakening you to faith, God imparts to your inner man the miracle of the new birth and joins you to the Spirit of Jesus. Here's the problem. That new creation is dwelling in a fallen and an unredeemed body. And sometimes people go, you can't say that. No, I'm going to, show, I'm going to read you passages from the Bible that say exactly that. And when you, you, when you recognise, this is why often Christians experience such a profound tension in their life. Because there's something on the inside that's crying out for heaven and there's something on the outside that is in desperate need of transformation and it's not going to be done until the second coming of Jesus. The redemption does not take place until the resurrection of the dead and the transformation of those who are still alive, being caught up to meet him in the air and totally transformed to receive a body like unto his own glorious body. And in that moment, the war will cease. The inside and the outside will be on the same page. But until that moment, there is a war in the life of every believer with a body that Paul describes as dead because of sin, but a spirit that is alive because of righteousness. And as a result, it's, there's, a, there's a degree of complexity in pastoring people. There's a degree of complexity in pastoring yourself. When you really care for people, when you care about the outcome of their lives, you can't just be involved in dealing with spiritual things because a human being is not just a spirit. A human being is a profoundly complex creature, a mixture of spirit and clay, a mixture of spirit and flesh. I am a human soul. And the human soul is not something like a third part of a human being. A human soul is just a description of what happens when you put a spirit inside a body. It produces a personality. And that personality we call a soul. Alan Meyer is a soul. Jared is a soul. Every one of you is a soul. You are a mixture of flesh and spirit and it has produced the unique human being personality or soul that you actually are. You are a complex connection of matter and spirit, and for Jesus to come into this world required a miracle that only the Holy Spirit could do. To put God inside a human body, to, to be fully God and fully man at the same time, it was, a, it was an extraordinary miracle. And as a result, I'm not just spirit. I'm also matter. I have biochemistry, I've got hands, I've got legs, I've got fingers, I've got genitals, I've got a brain, and here's where much of the problem lies. I have a brain, I've got synapses, I've got eyes, I've got ears, I've got a tongue. And the Bible sums all of that up in this word, the members of my body. Now, I've got a whole parliament of unruly members. <laughs> if ever you want a picture of the problem of life, just watch Parliament Live. 
whole bunch of members all doing the silly things, saying silly things. Well, not all of them, but most of them out of control most of the time. I've got a whole parliament of unruly members and wedded and infused into this unruly parliament of members is this new creation that Jesus sees as being as holy and as wonderful as him. It's, it's already passed from death to life. But I live with unruly members. And that uh, extraordinary breath of God has been breathed into this human body. But if you were to destroy this body today, you will not destroy my soul. Listen to what Jesus said. Fear not them that kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. There is a reason to fear God is that there will be a great day of judgment. If you were to kill me today, I will not cease to exist. There is a part of me that has nothing to do with atoms and molecules. And this is where it's a fascinating thing when I watch science, modern science today and modern uh, thinking about what it means to be human. The, the, the average educated Australian is a total materialist. He thinks there is nothing more to a human being than this frame and, and the brain that it encases. That's entirely all about electrochemistry and biochemistry and hormones and flesh and muscles and stuff. That's all there is to a human being. The Bible says that's what you think. Destroy this body and what God breathed into it, the real core of a human life. The real life, the spirit that's within you will just suddenly find itself in the presence of God and in another place. But here is God's wisdom. I'm going to put a new creation inside you, but I'm not going to redeem your body today. What I'm going to ask you to do is bring this unruly parliament of members under the united control of you in relationship with Jesus. This is the trial of our Christian walk. And you say, well, why would God do that? Because he's really, really smart. That's why it's called the wisdom of God. Say, I would never do that. No, you wouldn't, but you don't know where all this is going. The problem in, in kind of assessing God's intelligence is that you have no idea what the end product is intended to be. And because you and I don't even see what the end could we can't even imagine what the end would look like, you have to trust God as he exercises his wisdom in knowing how to prepare something that's designed to live with him forever. That's why you've got to take your sanctification seriously. See, your sanctification, your spiritual development, the development of this inner man inside a disobedient body is part of God's wisdom in preparing you for eternal life. And if it's important, that important, you need to take it seriously. Now, I prove this every time I go on a golf course. I prove the scriptures every time I go on the golf course. Because, you see, what I experience on the golf course is straight out of the Bible. Let me share with you. It's true, I'm telling you. Listen as Paul begins to now describe, and if you don't understand that as Paul gets into Romans 6, 7 and 8, he is now talking sometimes about the totality of his human soul, sometimes he's talking about the physical side, and sometimes he's talking about the spiritual side. Reading Romans 6, 7 and 8 is really confusing. So what's he talking about? It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. What, what's he talking about when he says, I see another look? What, what's he saying? I'm going to read to you some passages, and you'll, you'll see him now as he begins to describe the struggle and the war of our sanctification. And you've got to enter into that war. Don't just stay the miserable human being you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. He wants to move righteousness into your life, not just your account. And by the grace of God, it is a war. And people who enter into the war grow. And they develop because it's Christ in you. It's God who's in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So it's not a fruitless battle. Sometimes it's a hard battle, especially when you're facing addictions, when you're facing things that have been grooved into this physical brain and they want to lead me down a certain pathway, when you've got passions in this body that would want you to perform acts that God says, that I, I've nothing, that's not me, that's not heaven, don't go there. 
Don't keep that up. Romans 6 verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This is the struggle of the Christian. Now, the average person doesn't feel that struggle. They're happy to do whatever their body has passions for. But when you've got a new life inside and you're reading the words of Jesus, you realise, well, I'm not supposed to gossip and I want to tell. I want to tell. Oh, God, let me tell. Who can I tell? Oh, can you help me pray with this person? I've just got a secret I really need to share with you. <laughs> don't go there. Honour that person. Cover them. Don't, don't expose them. That's heaven doesn't expose it. It, it covers it. Love, love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, but my bed, my member wants to never unruly member. No, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Neither yield your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. You once yielded your members as slaves to impurity. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. It's it's. Demanding that this unruly group of members begins to learn to obey Jesus and he and I, with an inner man on the inside, have that, have that as our primary reason to get up every morning and to live life better and see Jesus reign. Listen to this. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, now he's talking about his, about his human side, I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my actions. Now we're, now we're on the golf course. For I do not understand my actions. For I do not do what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. What was that about? I say on the golf course. That's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to hit that right move into the trees. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. See, on the physical side, this is not where goodness dwells. These are unruly members. The goodness has been knit together with Christ in my inner man. The Bible says outwardly we are perishing, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. There is a life, but it's on the inside. And the problem with being Australian is we are so materialistic in our thinking and in our view of life, we, never, we don't even see the difference between an inner man and an outer man. We don't even identify a war going on between Christ and the new life and the old life that wants to reign on the outside. He goes on. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. In other words, Paul says it's a war. Have you found sometimes just walking it out with Jesus a struggle? Well, welcome to the party. You are not Robinson Crusoe. You are not alone. It is the universal challenge with having new life on the inside and an unredeemed body on the outside. He goes on. I myself serve the law of God with my mind. That's talking about his inner man. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. You let this thing go, it will run you into places you don't want to be. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I'm nearly done because you're very patient. But I want to draw just a few th threads of this together. Often when we talk about ourselves, we talk about me and I, Paul could see clearly 
a distinction between the war going on in his inner man where his mind had become subject to Christ and he knew the truth. He knew the kind of life, the kind of justice and the kind of kindness and the love that God wanted him to explain and often the struggle that he had because the, the, the unruly parliament goes nuts and doesn't want to go down that pathway. Why? That's mine. It's mine. Why should I share? No, it's mine. He knew that war. I often have men come into valiant men and they've been struggling because they have damaged this. Their brain has been damaged because brains have been created by God to respond to environments and they get reformed. And when you've got an inner man that knows that purity is the core but you've got an outer man that wants to lust its way to the grave, you have a war. And they sit in my class and they cry. And they say, I don't understand myself. Oh, welcome. It's something about that in the Bible. The very thing I don't want to do, I'm doing. And I hate myself for doing it afterwards. Am, am I saved? Oh, yeah, you're saved. You see, if you weren't saved, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be talking like that. If you weren't a righteous man by grace, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. You'd just be out there ripping into every pleasure you could get your hands on. But because Christ is in your life, there's a battle going. Now, you've got to understand how the battle is won. And you've got to understand how sanctification works. And this is a great subject, and I'm not going to try and unfold it for you in one hit. But here is, here is the most important element in um, providing us with a plumb line and providing us with a, like a compass as we're doing this role of letting Christ in me control this unruly parliament of members. And as I do, it begins to reform. And it becomes less and less cantankerous and more and more aligned with the spirit on the inside. That's the miracle of the way God has framed us. That as you sow, you also will reap. And even, even in an unruly body, calms down and begins to fight you less along the way. Now, it'll always fight you because, as Paul says, he says, I see another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. But, so, but Paul says, don't let sin reign. Don't, just don't, don't give it power. Let the inner man rule in his relationship with Jesus. Now, the primary, um, the primary agency of spiritual formation is that you've got to be familiar with the word of God. Jesus said this. He prayed in John 17, praying for his disciples. He said this, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you don't know what's true, if you don't know God's thoughts, then you don't have a plumb line. And when you don't have a plumb line, there are a lot of voices that would like to talk to you about what's okay for you to see as normal in a, in a human life. In fact, it's one of the greatest problems is that we are surrounded by voices and those voices speak and they are relentless. And if I could find my last page, I'd tell you what's on it because it was a, it's a really good page. Here we are. Thank you. Last thing. You and I are surrounded by voices and one, some of those voices are becoming increasingly dangerous because when governments, for example, pass laws that say you are not allowed to tell a person that this is sin or you're not allowed to even help them escape from what the Bible describes as sin, we're entering into a really dangerous phase. Now, there used to be a time in Western civilization where a lot of the ways people thought about what was, what was healthy and unhealthy, right and wrong, was based on the word of God. Well, we're not living in that society, unfortunately, any longer. And as man, with his rebellious parliament of members, begins to try to reconstruct a different view of what's healthy and normal for human beings to engage in, increasingly what, the, what culture is saying is a direct confrontation to the kingdom of heaven. And it's not for us to go out and yell at everybody and say, yeah, no, you did change the laws. Well, maybe it would have helped. But the, the, the reality is the laws only reflect how alienated people's hearts are from God. And if they want to go that way, then there's going to have to be a moment where individually, each one of them, repent and say, oh God, I used to think this was okay. Now I need to... Re that's not what, it's not okay because you've made it clear in your word. There's stuff you don't like. 
the stuff that is, it's destructive of our humanity. Culture is one of those voices. They're seeking to frame for you what is normal. And it's got nothing to do with your future in Jesus Christ. And that's why the word of God, sanctify them through thy truth. It becomes vital for Christians not to simply be moved by their culture into a different sense of holiness. Um, Let the word of God be the word that guides you into your sense of what heaven really looks like. Your own ideas will, will be a voice. I mean, one of the reasons I created Valiant Man is because I know what it means to be a man and live with sexuality and be attracted by other women from time to time and have a voice telling me, you'll never be really happy until you chase that person. And to realise that voice can be very powerful and very persuasive. And if I didn't have another voice, I grew up with the Ten Commandments. I'll never forget sitting in a motel in Tasmania and everything in my lustful flesh wanting to go pursue a woman. And the voice, that another voice ringing, thou shalt not commit adultery. And that voice, fortunately for me, being a peg in the ground, because that was God's voice. I, I know where that came from. That isn't just someone's opinion. That's what the angels ministered through to Moses. On, uh, man, that's, that came from heaven. Your own ideas will be a voice. The passions and longings of your broken physical humanity will be a voice. I feel for our gay, lesbian, LBTQI community... Because all they're saying is my body is crying out for a different experience of sex than the one described in the Bible. And I get that. I understand that. And it's not easy. And when, you, when your body cries out and says, this is what I need, I'll never be happy if I don't get this, if you don't have a plumb line, you'll just obey the voice of your own broken body. And I do not want to be in a community that affirms that and says, oh, well, I mean, that's just who you are. No, who I am is is a redeemed human being in Christ. That's who I am. This is going to go. This is going to be changed. And Paul says you've got to understand that this will fight you. The members of your own body will fight you. And they'll seek to lead you into a lifestyle that is contradictory to where God is seeking to prepare you for what he's seeking to prepare you for. And one of the most helpful things, firstly, is truth. And then secondly, to be surrounded by a community of people who love you and who are willing to affirm that, no, Al, that's not normal. Don't chase that. Well, that is not normal. Oh, yeah, but I know I could be excited. Yes, you could. But the Bible says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that it should any longer take charge of your life, because you have a different life. Your family and friends can be a voice. Oh, it's okay. I mean, after all, what's wrong with that? But whose voice will have my attention? Will it be the voice of my unredeemed and my damaged frame, my outer frame? Will that be the voice that wins? And I, I raise every day and I say, oh God, deliver me from evil. Because evil is present with me, as Paul said. You know, it's right here. Um, this frame would very willingly love to just do some stuff that God has no desire for whatsoever. Is it going to be the voice of my feelings, the voice of my passions and lusts? Is it the voice of my needs as I perceive them? Because so often the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand? Your own heart will lie to you. I've had on a number of occasions my heart tell me you'll never be happy unless you pursue that woman. And thank God I've had the scripture and been able to say, you liar. And when that insanity has passed, to be able to stand there in love with my wife we celebrate 53 years of marriage this year. She's... That, that claps for her. <laughs> to come this far and know that we love each other and we're proud of each other and we've created something precious and it matters to God. God's, God's in this stuff. God cares about your marriage. You may have made mistakes. All right, he's dealt with that. Now let's get on. By the righteousness of God, I've dealt with that. Now I want to lead you to you and Jesus building a different kind of life. And it's not just uh, for now. You will carry the only thing at the end of the day that you will have to present to God is what you have become in union with Jesus Christ. You see, he's totally accomplished your righteousness. That's the first part of God's wisdom, justification by faith. 
he's totally going to resolve the issue of your body. He's going to completely replace it and he's going to renew the heavens and the earth. He's not asking you to do anything. He's going to do it. But in between those two, there is something he's asking you to cooperate with and that is your sanctification. That you would allow Christ to impart his life increasingly to you. What voice am I going to listen to? The the voice of my own assessment of who I am and what I am. The voice of my own dreams and visions for life. What am I going to be led by? Well, the most fundamental is this. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Please don't affirm my broken humanity. It's why I I went and played with Don yesterday and um, I'd play a lousy shot and he would say to me, oh, you know, you're better than that. You can, you can, you can do it. There's, there's more in you, mate. Another 20 yards yet. It's all in there. This inner man's going to get this outer man to obey the principles of the kingdom because I really believe in heaven they play great golf. That's my bit. <laughs> Let me finish with a promise from God. You want to hear a lovely promise from God? It comes from the book of Isaiah. Do you long for a better life, a healthier life? A more Christ-like life, a life that's got more love and more grace and more goodness and all of that kindness, all of the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to those who had that cry. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money on stuff that isn't bread? And why do you spend your wages for stuff that does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Let me show this as my last point. The faithful mercy shown to David. David was not a perfect man. But you know, this is a dangerous thing to say, but our struggles are part of God's wisdom in building an experience of righteousness into our life. He wants us to go to war. He wants us to learn how to win this war because he's for us. He says, listen to me. And I'll give you, I'll make a covenant with you according to the faithful mercy shown to David. The covenant that God made with David was this, that I will put on the throne uh, of Israel forever a king who comes from your body. How he fulfilled that is quite extraordinary because that's, a spe- that's speaking about Jesus. That out of David's body would come a king who would sit on the throne of Israel. The king that came from David's body was Solomon and ultimately the the king who came from David's body was Jesus. Solomon was born out of the greatest mistake David ever made. He committed adultery and murdered a friend. And you'd say, what's God going to do with that? I'll tell you he's going to do with it. He's going to redeem. He took what should never have taken place. He breathed into it the spirit of repentance And David in Psalm 51 said to God, Oh God, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. And God answered that prayer. And even though it was his greatest mistake, the great God took Bathsheba, whom he should never have married. She was someone else's wife. But he forgave their sin and put his spirit upon them. And out of that union came Solomon. And from Solomon came Jesus. Even out of your greatest mistakes, God in his redemptive power will bring something out of it that will last for eternity. Just don't stay in the mistake. Move on. Embrace Jesus. Allow him to reform your heart. Put a new spirit within you. And I know there's a lot more. But the bottom of life is that life keys came out of this understanding. People are human and their spirit, and they need an environment of encouragement and truth. And in that environment, to hear what the truth is and to wrestle with, well, how would I do that? What would it look like? And to be encouraged along the way. Al, there's 20 more yards in that swing, mate. It's not over yet. 
to know that God is for us, he's not against us. And this morning I simply want to encourage you. Have you been involved in a war? It's not because you aren't saved, it's because you are. And maybe you're here today and, and you're on the edge of believing. You, you look at your life and you don't like wh where it is. You just don't like the way it's working out for you. And today you'd like to say to Jesus, Lord, if you've got a plan to make me righteous, help me engage with a different kind of life and then ultimately fit me out for eternal life. If, that's what, if you could do that with me, I want Jesus to come into my heart. Would everyone bow their heads for one moment? You may have never asked. It's a wonderful moment when you realise, I want to say to God, I want to be in on this. I don't want to miss out. I want to be forgiven. I want a different life. And even if it's difficult, I, I just want a different, I want, I want a new life, a heavenly life. If you have never asked, and today you would be willing to say to God, forgive my sin, come into my spirit, create in me a clean heart. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. If you're willing to say to him, yes, I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, sir. Put your hand down. Who else is it today that would be willing to say, come into my life, forgive my sin, become my saviour, be the power of God in my life, be the wisdom of God in my life. Is that you? Is that you? Is that you? Oh, there can even be a struggle at that moment, even saying yes to the great gift of God. Take your hand, sir, put it on your heart. Put it right here. Put your hand right on your heart, sir. The, you, the one who raised your hand, put your hand on your heart. That's the way. We're going to pray together, and I want you to say this out loud, along with all of us. Say a prayer. God hears prayer when our hearts are humble. Say these words with me. Heavenly Father, I need help. I've made so many mistakes. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Change me. I want to trust in Jesus. And I will follow him all the days of my life. Father, I pray over this people today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the love and the grace that is here. Lord, as we enter into this war every day with uh, surrounded by a community of believers and a community that would like to tell us we don't need to take some stuff seriously. And yet your word says we do. I pray that a community of faith, of kindness, of care for struggling human lives will be enriched every day to serve you in this place and that all the people you have yet to draw to yourself will find their encounter with you and be helped through this community. I pray you'd bless Hope Point. I pray you'd bless it with grace and life. And I pray that it will flourish under your hand. And increasingly people will see that the life of God is really becoming my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God bless you. I hope that made sense to you. Makes sense to me. May the Lord bless your lives. Thank you.